Okay, let's go ahead and get into the Word tonight. We're in 2 Samuel 11, and uh, I want to just go ahead and open in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your Word. We thank you that it's all that we need for life and godliness, and Lord, that it's useful for teaching us, correcting us, rebuking us, and training in righteousness. And certainly tonight as we delve into this subject, it is not a subject that we want to deal with, Lord. It's a subject that uh, we see a fallen hero. And uh, Lord, we just pray for your grace as we we approach this subject that you would teach us, that you would encourage us in righteousness, that we might do your will and be faithful to you. Uh, Lord, let us be able to approach this topic with grace for one another. And Lord, we thank you that in you we find forgiveness. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I guess my prayer kind of introduced some of the subject we're going to get into tonight, but uh, this is probably one of the most famous chapters in the whole Bible. Uh, The highlight of David's life, King David, was... Probably as far as fame would would have been David versus Goliath. Uh, Everybody knows the story of David versus Goliath. Even if you're not a Christian or grow up in church, there's references all over the place to David and Goliath. But then they also know about David and Bathsheba and this adulterous affair affair that uh, happens in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And so as we deal with this chapter tonight, and I don't, don't even know that we'll get through the whole chapter tonight, there's a couple of things I want you to look at. And, and first is how God deals with sin versus how man deals with sin. Uh, you see, God exposes sin with the intention of, intention of breaking the cycle of sin and actually setting the sinner free. Man tries to cover sin and hide sin with no regard for the cost. Man's is never set free with his way. It's just an underlined hidden uh, beast that continues eating at people. So as we get into this text tonight, One of the things that I think is quite amazing and a testimony to the way God deals with sin is here you have one of the greatest heroes of Israel, King David, which God so openly lays lays bare his sinful relationship with Bathsheba and what he does to cover it up. God doesn't hide it. He doesn't allow, allow it to become a conspiracy. In fact, we'll see next week how he even exposes it to the people of David's day. But when God calls us out of hiding, when he calls us out of the darkness, just like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden, when they had sinned, they tried to make coverings of fig leaves for themselves. They went and hid in the bushes. And when God called to them, they said, we were hiding because we were afraid, because we were naked. And, and God, of course, challenged them on, on whether or not they had sinned, knowing that they had sinned. And then God, it was God who made coverings for them. It was God who brought them out, out of hiding. And, of course, ultimately uh, brought Jesus Christ to deal with sin completely. So, with that said, let's get into verse 1 of chapter 11. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. 
Then it happened one evening that David rose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent an inquire and inquired of the woman about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him. And he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. It's amazing the first five verses of this chapter carry so much weight with it. You know, the, the story just even opens up with uh, the spring of the year when kings go out to battle. We don't see David going out to battle. Now, if you remember last week, David had shown kindness to the king of Ammon uh, and uh, that uh, his father had died. So he sent emissaries there and the the king met them with, uh, he listened to some evil counselors and he had ended up disgracing these these uh, emissaries that David, ambassadors that David had sent, which led to a war. And uh, David had sent Joab and the army of his mighty men. Well, they had been surrounded by Syria, the troops of Syria, and eventually they were pushing them back. But but Joab didn't actually have the total victory of the battle. In fact, actually, we read that it wasn't until David joined the battle that they completely routed the Syrians. Uh, and David uh, led his troops to victory. And you can see that in chapter 10, verse 17 and, and onward there. Well, now we see that Joab and the mighty army of mighty men and uh, David's men are still fighting that battle with Ammon. And when they go out to battle, David stays home. This is a problem. And and we can say the first thing that we can identify as uh, an open opportunity for sin is just simply not being where you're supposed to be at the right time. And and I know that sounds funny, but oftentimes uh, there are uh, endeavors and places that God intends for us to be. And when we don't go to those places, when we, when we end up somewhere else or doing something else, it just opens up the door for sin. Like for instance, just to give you an example, how, how often have you desired to come to church, but then you just, when it comes Sunday, you're just feeling really lazy that day. And you just don't, you're like, I don't know if I want to go. Or when there's a prayer meeting, I, I know for myself, Wednesday night prayer, I, I can't tell you how many times I feel like, man, I'm just tired. I, I don't really want to go to prayer tonight, but I go and I'm so happy I did I, I, to be faithful to pray. But when, it's when we choose not to be where we're supposed to be that it opens up an opportunity for sin. Yet when we're in the places we need to be and uh, we, we, we're fortified in our faith and we're encouraged in our faith and and. The Lord really uses those as opportunities to keep us strong in our faith. Well, David here, he, he doesn't go out to battle. He stays home. He ends up taking a nap on his rooftop. And while he's napping on his rooftop, he comes out and he cruises around and he sees this beautiful woman bathing. Now, tra- uh, John Trapp writes this, while Joab is busy laying siege to Rabbah, Satan is to David and for the sooner and and far sooner prevailed. And just that idea that Satan is absolutely laying siege to David while he's up there on the rooftop where he should be out laying siege to the enemy, Satan's laying siege to him. And 
I want to just take a moment here and look at just this idea of David and what he, what he did to lead up to this moment. I don't think that this is uh, where the sin started by any means. I think that David had a problem with unrestrained passion all of his life. I mean, really, when you consider it, David now has seven wives. This is prior to Bathsheba. Bathsheba is going to make wife number eight for King David. On top of that, in 1 Chronicles 3, we read that he has other concubines. And of course, we don't know how many concubines there are that come along uh, in that passage. Now, Solomon takes this to the obscene level uh, of wives and concubines. But David here is completely unrestrained by his desires and his, uh, his romantic desires and, and passions. And because he's not teaching himself self-control and continually giving himself over and not being content, it just sets him up for failure here at this moment on the rooftop. Now, just to not keep us so far down in the dumps here, because this is a terrible sin David, David does, but I want to make sure that we keep in mind what God is going to do with David, the man that he loves, the man that he's called to be king. Because God can take this terrible moment and turn it for good. And he will, because for those who love the Lord, yeah, he'll turn it around. But for now, we get to deal with what's going on in David's life. So David has these uh, seven wives and he's still not satisfied. And I do want to encourage all of you to learn to be content. Learn to be content with what God has given to you. And even those who are single, learn to be content in your singleness. If you can't be content as a single person, do not think that being married will solve that problem. It won't. Being married won't fix lust of the flesh. Being married won't fix this discontentment. So I want to challenge you to, to, if you're a type of person that's just generally discontent with what God has given you, well, you better start praying and asking God for forgiveness. Just confess that right now to the Lord and learn to be content in the Lord. The sin with Bathsheba started long before with Bathsheba. Before Bathsheba. David had conditioned himself to be unrestrained. And I think what happened of this, I'm sure, is that it did not happen all at once. Red Path writes, this matter of Bathsheba was simply the climax of something that had been going on in his life for 20 years. Now, I want to challenge you all on this, that, that we are to throw off the works of the flesh and the lust of the flesh, the passions of the flesh, the pursuit of the flesh, and we're to put on the fruits of the Spirit, self-control, patience, kindness, love, all these virtuous fruits of God. So don't just excuse away underlining, underlying sin in your life because over time it leads up to this climax event. And, uh, and we're, we're going to see that the fallout from this event is very, very terrible. Turn me over to Proverbs, Proverbs 15, uh, five, sorry, Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 15. Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 15. I've got a. You've already got it. Good job, Bethany. I'm almost there. 
See, you move too fast tonight. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 5. <laughs> All right. It says, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountain be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them, only be, uh, only your, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Oh, now we're not, we realize we're not talking about a cistern, a well, or a fountain. We're talking about your wife. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. Solomon gives this bit of wisdom in Proverbs, um, and we know that it's from God, that we are to be satisfied with what is ours, with what God has given to us. We're not to go looking, and I want to challenge you, because like David, each and every one of us at some point in time in our life are going to be tempted to, to look at, to even possibly be romantically attracted to someone who doesn't belong to us. That's just a fact. It's just going to happen. At some point, you're going to meet somebody or, or become romantically attracted to someone that doesn't belong to you and you have no business being romantically attracted to. And so you need to now decide that you will only drink from your own cistern, that you won't engage in this, you won't excuse it away, you won't make decisions to, to here's why it's okay, or I'm being ignored over here, or whatever the case excuses come. Drink from your own cistern, and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad? No way. Streams of water in the streets? Is that really what you want? You want your fountains being dispersed in the streets? I mean, that's, Solomon puts it really well there. You know, you know what water runs down the streets? Do you know what water runs down the streets? Yeah, we call it the gutter, right? Do you really want your spouse in the gutter? No. Do you think your spouse wants you in the gutter? No. And, and so it shouldn't be dispersed. Let them be your own, only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. Now, we have a problem as human beings. We will uh, get infatuated with someone or something. And uh, we just can't wait to have that, that person or that thing. But then we lose interest. And as a, especially as a married person or as a single person who intends to be married when the Lord presents to you a spouse, what you want to start doing now is start practicing not only being content with the Lord, but committing to that love promise for a lifetime. Love is not something you always feel at any given time. Love is something you practice with your spouse. Love is something you do with your spouse. You give to your spouse. You care for. It's not something that you always feel romantically. Wow, we're walking on cloud nine in the honeymoon phase. I mean, that's what we all want and desire, but it's something you have to continue fostering because the fact is, as you go through life and marriage, 
kids come along, work gets in the way, all these different things get in the way of marriage, okay? And they get in the way of the romantic fairy tale story, and, uh, and people start becoming discontent and start looking to someone else's cistern. Not so with you. Don't do that. Job, Job uh, 31.1, Job writes, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? That's Job 31.1. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? Now, as we consider David and up on his rooftop, noticing this woman bathing, I don't want to put all the blame on David. Uh, certainly, I don't want to excuse away his sin. But I question that Bathsheba doesn't know that her bath isn't visible from the king's rooftop. I got to question that. Let me ask you women. Do you think Bathsheba knows that her bath is visible to the king's rooftop? Yeah, women are like, oh yeah, she knows. <laughs> Us men are like, well, she probably doesn't know. You know? <laughs> no, she knows. She, she, I, I guarantee she knows. Uh, she, I'm, I'm confident that she knows. Now, I, I don't know that she knew that the king would be walking on the palace roof at that point in time. But, but, but she's there bathing before the king. And we don't see that there's much in the way of protest to the king's invitation to the palace. I learned a long time ago, my parents would say, it takes two to tango, right? You can't, you're just not going to, this isn't going to happen by, by one individual here. So although uh, we're going to focus on, on, we're looking at David and the lust that he has after Bathsheba, I want to say that this is not just a man problem. This is just as much a woman problem because it's a, a a problem of the human condition to not be satisfied. David looked at Bathsheba and, and uh, saw her beauty. Uh, and it's really interesting when you see what David sees versus what God sees. David sees Bathsheba's beauty. Uh, and this is uh, David Gusick wrote this. I think it's really good. David sees Bathsheba's beauty, but God saw this is ugly. The pleasures of sin deceive us like the, the bait hides the hook. We must call it what God calls it. It's sin. We want to say an affair, but God says adultery. We want to say love, but God says lust. We want to say sexy, but God says sin. We want to say romantic, but God says ruin. We want to say destiny, but God says destruction. And so true, as David walks on this, house, this rooftop and he sees her bathing, he's certainly not thinking about consequences, but he's thinking about satisfying the lust. Verse 3 says, So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? Okay, that, that was one of his mighty men, Eliam. It's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Well, that should be enough. She's not mine. That, that should be enough. But instead, David sends messengers. Oh, Uriah's out battling for me. Uriah, the faithful man of God. Is out battling for me, the faithful one to me, the king. So he took her and she came to him and he lay with her for she was cleansed from her impurity. Well, what's this mean? 
uh, it's possible that actually the bath that she was taking was the fulfillment of the law to be cleansed from her menstrual cycle. Uh, We're not really sure on that one. But here's what we do know. This little verse is telling us she wasn't pregnant when she went in and saw David. Uh, She was definitely not pregnant when she she, uh, went in with David and he lay with her. Uh, and she returned to her house. So she, the, the, the scriptures are letting us know that, nope, she, David conceived with her. So she sent and told David, I am with child. Turn with me over to Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5. Oh, there you are. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. Jesus is helping us understand sin and sin in the heart. And he shares with us on the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. That's part of the law. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, Jesus, as he gives this teaching, I believe the whole the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is to show our need for our Savior, that you and I are so sinfully wicked, that our hearts are absolutely deceived, that, that we need a Savior, that we might think we're keeping the law, but though there's this issue of sinning in our hearts. And, and so David is, er, sorry, Jesus, as he starts to talk about committing adultery, uh, he says it's starting with lust in the heart. Now, I've heard Bible teachers talk about young people, single people, that they're not capable of committing adultery. And technically that's true, that you're not, if you're not married, you're not having adultery. But certainly we can say that the scriptures are very clear that also the fruits of the Spirit do not include sexual immorality. And if you're training yourself as a single person to be sexually immoral, then why do you think as a married person, you'll remain true? Do you understand what I'm saying? When you're single is when you start training yourself and you start uh, uh, making sure to be disciplined and self-controlled. And ladies who are looking for a husband, you want to look for a young man who is or a husband who is self-controlled and disciplined and leans into the Lord, who walks with the Lord. You don't want to look for for a man who's just out of control and say, oh, you know what, he's going to get better once we get married. Don't, don't do that, ladies. And vice versa, men, don't look for a woman that says, oh, she'll get better once we get married. That never happens. It just gets worse. But going back to Jesus' teaching, you have heard that it said that those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. So what do we do? And the fact is, is God has wired us a particular way. God has, has made us so that we're attracted to the opposite sex. 
So that uh, we, we, you know, certainly when I met my wife, the first thing I, was, I didn't say about her was, look at the character she has, you know. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't the first thing. But, but at the same time, what do we do? Well, I'll tell you this. Look away. I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look lustfully at a woman. Look away. Get, get out of there. Don't dwell on a person that doesn't belong to you. Don't dwell on an individual that you may at some point find yourself romantically attracted to and you start building up something in some scenario in your head where this somehow works out. Don't do that. It never works out. I, I can't tell you how many times I've dealt with people who have pursued adultery and all it brings is ruin. I promise you there's not one bit ever time that it works out for the good. It only brings about ruin. And I know you guys are like, oh, yeah, we know this, Pastor Dave. We know that. We're not cheating on me. Quit scolding us. No, listen. The fact is, is you'll be surprised. And I believe some of you even might be conditioning yourselves right now for a future sin of adultery later on. And some of you may be dwelling on looking at a woman lustfully in your heart. Some of you may be jumping online and looking at lustful images and dwelling on those things. Don't do that. Purify yourselves. Make a covenant with your eyes that you won't look at a woman lustfully or a man for that matter of fact. Jesus says that if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it far from you. Isn't that gross? Doesn't, doesn't that give you a terrible image? You know? What a terrible image. Now, I don't think Jesus literally wanted you to go around popping out your eyeballs or cutting off your hands. But the whole idea is expose the sin. As long as you keep it a secret, as long as you internalize it, as long as you continue doing it in secret, you're, you're, you're never cutting it off. The sin has to be cut off from you. you you've got to turn away from it. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. It is more profitable for you to have a relationship with your God and to walk with him than it is and, and to lose whatever it is that's helping you sin, causing you sin, whatever thing that you're holding on to, it's much more profitable for you to get rid of that than to have the whole body cast into hell. So true. We want to set ourselves apart to the Lord. If David only knew that this illicit pursuit of pleasure would directly uh, or indirectly result in some very unwanted consequences. I, I question whether he would do it, but he wasn't thinking about consequences at all. And never are people thinking about consequences when they start pursuing after lust. Listen to this. These are some of the things that come as a result of David having this illicit affair. Uh, first of all, there's an unwanted pregnancy. Bathsheba becomes pregnant. Then we see that he's going to murder a trusted friend. We'll get into that in a moment. Uh, he's going to end up with a dead baby. His daughter is raped by his son. That's one of the indirect results. Uh, one, another son, one of his sons murders his other son because of the rape of his daughter. A uh, civil war breaks out because of one of his sons. 
And then we see a, a son who imitates David's lack of self-control, leading him and much of Israel away from God, and that's Solomon. Solomon just takes David's lack of self-control to this absolute obscene level. Let's see, I'm just looking at the time. We're definitely not going to get through the rest of this chapter. I'm <laughs> still not done with this subject. So we, we uh, oh, turn with me over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Wow, time flew fast tonight, didn't did we? St- you guys went way late with worship, right? <laughs> I'm just trying to blame anybody else but me. <laughs> so, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. All right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Oh, I'm in second. I was like, where's chapter 4? There we go. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and uh, verse, verse 3. For this is the will of God. Okay, hold on. Let's pause there for a minute. Have you ever asked yourself, what's the will of God? I want to know God's will for me. Anybody ever ask that question? Okay, boom, right here. You got it, okay? So you know for sure, this is the will of God. Your sanctification. What does that mean? You being holy. You walking holy before the Lord, that you're set apart unto the Lord. Okay? That you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also uh, forewarned you and testified. Oh, I think I went too far. Um, oh, no, I, did, I didn't. Okay. For God did not call us to uncleanliness, but in holiness. Therefore, he rejects this, does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So here we see that Paul says, this is the will of God. It's your sanctification. You're being holy. And specifically, you are to abstain from any sexual immorality as a believer. Any feeding of the lust of the flesh sexually, uh, any toying around with uh, uh, your imagination of lust, any, anything, uh, avoid sexual immorality. Uh, you should learn how to have self-control uh, and honor your honor God with your body. Notice it says, not in passionate lust like the Gentiles. Okay, this is, it, it, it's not that so much that these people that Paul is talking to are Jews, because they're not Jews. They're, they're, it's a, a Gentile church. There's, I'm sure there's some Jews in this church. But more than that, it's, it's like the pagans, like those who don't know God, who don't fear God. You yourselves are not supposed to act like them. And uh, you're not supposed to just make excuses for it, say it's okay, it's just who I was, you know, food for the stomach, stomach for food, it makes sense. No, don't do that. Because when you act out like this, look at what it says you're doing, that no one should take advantage and, or, and defraud his brother in this matter. Now, I don't believe Paul is talking about a, a, a failed business deal, defrauding your brother in business or alone or something like this. No, this is specifically tied to this idea of sexual immorality. That when you start 
being sexually immoral with someone else, you're actually defrauding someone else. Or if you start pursuing someone's wife or someone's husband, you're defrauding the other person and taking advantage of them. And this shouldn't be for God's people and God's house. It shouldn't be that way. God takes marriage seriously. And he also takes sexual purity seriously for the believers. You know, not a single person has to remain in the bondage of sin. Do you know that? God died for us so that not a single one of us has to remain in bondage to sin. That, that he gives us the ability to, to be forgiven of our sins, to confess our sins, that, that we can come to the Lord and be forgiven. Spurgeon writes, as soon as as soon as ever we are conscious of sin, the right thing is not to begin to reason with the sin or to wait until we have brought ourselves into the proper state of heart about it, but to go at once and confess the transgression unto the Lord there and then. Don't excuse away sin. If you start excusing away sin or saying, saying that, oh no, well this isn't really that big of a deal, all you're doing is deceiving yourself. Rather, we're to confess our sins. James 5, 16, confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We, we have an opportunity and an ability to confess our sins, confess our sins to one another, to get help, to find brothers who can hold us accountable or sisters that can hold us accountable or someone who has the wisdom to say, don't go down that road you will completely destroy yourself. Uh, trust me, if any of you are ever considering, thinking, or toying around with having an affair, please just come talk to me first. I will change your mind completely about it because I've seen the destruction and the ruin that comes as a result of these sorts of things. Don't do it. Uh, stay away from, from this type of sin. And, uh, you know, what, so what do we confess? When do we confess to another? Well, I would love to say that the best thing for you to do is just confess it to the Lord. But what I have observed is that oftentimes when people keep a sin a secret, they continue on in the habitual sin. And I think oftentimes when sin is brought into the light and God starts to deal with that sin, he really transforms the individual. So... This is something, an area where I would challenge you to find some good brothers or sisters that you can bring the sin into the light, get accountability, and be prayed for and be healed and walk with the Lord and be restored. You know, God doesn't ever want to leave people just where they're at. And we're going to see that with David. He doesn't just leave David as an adulterer. He's going to continue to bring David along. All right, last passage I want to share with you tonight. Go, go over to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. And we'll get in, next week we'll get into Uriah and the dirtbag move that David pulls on Uriah. You can read ahead if you haven't yet. I'm sure you already know, but we'll, we'll get into that. <clears throat> Psalm 32. Notice this psalm is entitled in the New King James Bible, The Joy of Forgiveness. 
Verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now, let me pause there for a minute. Blessed. You know what blessed means? Oh, how happy. Totally happy. Overjoyed. Oh, how happy is he whose transgression is forgiven. Do you notice what it doesn't say? He whose transgression is hidden? No, it's forgiven. Then it goes on to say that whose sin is covered. Well, what's it talking about covered? Well, we're talking about that work of Christ being covering over our sin with his blood. That it's no longer being hidden away, uh, stored away for a later date, but it's completely taken care of. Blessed, oh, how happy is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Oh, how happy is that man who the Lord does not impute iniquity. You know, Jesus came to impute to us his righteousness. Impute is still a term used in the insurance industry, especially with like a car accident. They impute whose fault it was. It's putting blame or fault upon an individual or, or, or putting what one individual has upon another. The Lord Jesus Christ did not come and die on a cross to impute iniquity on us, but to impute his righteousness onto us, that we might receive his righteousness and that our iniquity would be put on him. And so, oh, how happy is that man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. How good it is is it that you don't have to hide things, but you can walk in the light as Christ is in the light and have nothing to hide or fear. By the way, men, women, Marriages. Let me speak directly to your marriages. I, I don't have to explain how human beings work. I think you all know that pretty well by now. As soon as you hit puberty, you've figured it out. I would encourage you to be upright and forthright with your spouses. I, I, I'm not saying to go around saying, oh man, I was checking out all these women today, honey. And the, No, no, no. <laughs> you train yourself to look at your wife be satisfied with the wife of your youth. But, but be open with your wife and let your wife be open with you because she, is the, she or he is the best gift that God has given you to walk uprightly. You have an accountability partner built into your life through marriage. And that can be a major blessing. But it's interesting how sin, what sin does is the person, the, the helpmate that God has given to us, sin causes us to avoid, to hide from, to not be transparent with or open. And I would challenge you to be open and transparent with your spouse. Otherwise, what happens is you continue hiding sinful thoughts, attitudes, emotions, all those sorts of things, or even just the, the sinful thoughts that you're toying with. You keep hiding. Rather... Let the gift that God has given you hold you accountable. So David goes on to say, when, when I kept silent, my bro- bones grew old, though my groaning all, through my groaning all the day long. He basically is saying, I was, I was broken inside. I was rotting inside when I kept silent. 
Uh, think about that for a minute. I know for me, uh, there was a time when, uh, you know, my knees didn't hurt. Now from all the beating they've taken, my knees hurt when I walk or when I, when I do certain things. I wake up, you wake up sore. Verse 4, for day and night you, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God wants you to be set free. He doesn't want you to walk or to stay in bondage. He didn't die that you would remain in bondage to sin. He died that you might have victory in sin and be an overcomer. And I would challenge you tonight If there is a sin, especially in this area of sexual immorality, that you need to bring into the light, we are here for you. We will pray for you. Maybe there's a brother or a sister you need to speak with and get prayed for. But if you're being convicted of this tonight, don't leave here without dealing with it. That's probably one of the worst things you could do is keep it hidden when God is saying, he's speaking to you tonight. I don't know what, as far as I'm concerned, you're all walking on water with Jesus, you know? You guys are all wonderful people, but, but at the same time, I know for a fact that sin is corrupting, it's hidden. We don't bring it in the light often. So I want to challenge with that. You can read the rest of Psalm 32 on your own, but God has, has given you the means to confess your iniquity and be forgiven of all your sins and transgressions. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this night together. And Lord, as we just consider this hard subject of David and Bathsheba, we give you praise for the hope that you give to us, Lord, that our sin does not define us. Lord, we can be defined by you and by by forgiveness in you and walking with you. And right now, Lord, as we take this moment to consider or be convicted. I want to give the opportunity for those of you in this room that you've been walking in habitual sin, that you just pray pray, and you just ask God to set you free. You just say, Lord Jesus, set me free. I'm tired of walking in habitual sin, Lord. I surrender to you. Lord, we thank you so much that you always provide a way out, that you always provide a way for us to be clean and to be made new. So we give, you the, we give you thanks for your faithfulness and we ask for your blessing on each and every one in this room tonight. Lord, I pray that you bless the marriages in this room and fortify them, make them strong. Let the husbands and wives be content with, with one another. Let them pursue each other and... and uh, Fulfill the needs of one another. Bless them as they walk with each other through this life. We just thank you so much for the wonderful gift of marriage. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, I just want to say I am sorry if I directed more of the message at you tonight. I just, uh, I just think that a strong and healthy church has strong and healthy men. Uh, now, obviously, women deal with some of these same issues too, but... Being a man, I know men, and I know how to talk to men better. Uh, I want to say that uh, our society, our culture, needs strong, godly, mighty men. So we come in here to sharpen ourselves, to conform to the image of Christ, 
so that we might be those mighty men of God. The end of Psalm 32, David writes, Many sorrows shall, shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice in the righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Have you ever done that? Have you ever shouted for joy? Have you ever really rejoiced? Do you know that word, hallelujah? Everybody know that word? To lift up the name of God? Let's try it. Hallelujah! Oh, come on, we can shout. Let's, let's do it better. Ready? Hallelujah! The Lord has set us free. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May He be gracious to you and give you peace. Amen.